Good afternoon. Welcome to the weekly edition of The Wrap. I'm Laura Leslie, WRL Capital Bureau Chief. And I'm State Government Reporter Travis Fain. And we are coming to you today from the Convention Center, where I am covering a, a conference, a convention this uh, this weekend that actually involves esports. We talked a lot about esports in that last session with that same bill, uh, some of the incentives that were put into the budget, this $5 million to help Raleigh attract some of these big esports competitions. This is a smaller local one, but it's kind of how you get people into it. So um, I'll have that story later on today. But in the meantime, lots of stuff happening in the legislative beat this week as well. Yeah, it was a pretty busy week. Uh, I think the biggest thing, the, the, the headline for me at least, was we finally confirmed that, yes, there is an, an, an investigation into Mark Meadows' voter registration. You remember, may remember it was, what, almost two weeks ago. Right. New Yorker had a pretty good piece. Charles Bethia, I think, wrote it. Uh, and it basically indicated, hey, Mark Meadows and his wife are registered to vote at a mobile home in Macon County, North Carolina. They do not live in that place. They, live, they live up in, the, in Virginia, near D.C., and uh, they both voted via absentee ballot from that home in 2020. Uh, the owner, or the former owner, the person who owned it in 2020, told the New Yorker and then later told WRL, yeah, I, uh, I don't think Mark Meadows has ever stayed there a single night, uh, and apparently he had rented it very briefly uh, to Meadows' wife. That all sounds like voter fraud. And so people have people have gone to court for less. Right. And so we you know, we, we reached out to people, say, Hey, what's is anything gonna happen here? Does anyone care? It turns out yes, someone does care. Uh, the Macon County District Attorney reached out to the Attorney General's office and said, Hey, I'm conflicted out here. Apparently he had uh, endorsed her in, in one or more elections. Um, helped her get elected, so this has been referred there. The State Bureau of Investigation has been asked by the Attorney General's Office to investigate, along with the State Board of Elections. I'm sure that will be a fairly secretive process. But yeah, it's usually done in private. So. But, I mean, there is there is a criminal inquiry to see if a, an actual crime was committed there here, is. which seems like a pretty big deal. So. In the meantime, I think we learned this week, didn't we, that Bud um, has gotten the Trump... President, former President Donald Trump is endorsing uh, Ted Budd. Is that right? He's he's kind of re-endorsed. Yeah, okay. I mean that. I think that's. No, he, I'm sorry, he, not Ted Budd. Pardon me, Bohines. Bohines. Yeah, that was and that was new new news. Uh, I think there were some people. There, there is, of course, as you might expect, a kind of behind-the-scenes push either for or against the former president to endorse certain people, right. and that has got to be intense. But. Uh, the pro Bohines people have have won that fight. Yeah, and there'll be um, a, a story coming out Sunday from our colleague Brian Anderson, looking at Club for Growth, which has played a key role uh, in the Bud, you know, the Senate race for sure, <clears throat> probably in some House races as well. Um, looking at how they've played into these these late uh, election contests. Yeah, and I'll mention briefly. I went to the Wake County GOP convention on Tuesday night, I think it was, and McCrory spoke, Pat McCrory, former governor and former congressman Mark Walker spoke, both Republican candidates for the U.S. Senate. Bud wasn't there, um, that, that I saw at least, he didn't speak. Really kind of lukewarm receptions from the crowd for McCrory particularly, but also, really, I mean, it, it, it's tough when you're about two hours into a convention and they've just done all the party business, you yeah. know, voting for the delegates and whatever, I, I, I don't even know. Yeah. I didn't even pay enough attention. So that's a tough speaking spot. That's when, but where both of them were. Between you and the door. Yep. But, but it wasn't like the crowd was just going nuts. They also didn't go nuts for uh, Mick, Mick Mulvaney. Mick Mulvaney. Mulvaney, yeah. Yeah, the former Trump uh, chief of staff as well, I believe. He was guest speaker. He was the guest speaker, the keynote. And he, he told them a lot of stuff they, they, they didn't want to hear. At one point he said, we've got to stop listening to idiots, and there are a lot of them in the Republican Party. Did he say that? Oh, yeah, yeah. And then he was talking about particularly, I think, my, the my pillow guy. 
no, excuse me. He was talking about Lynn Wood. I get those two mm. confused for... Understandable reasons. Yeah, who knows why. Um, and <laughs> did not really... There was one guy who applauded. Like one, literally, I heard one person clap for that. Well, that's uh, one. <laughs> so uh, the rest was kind of a bombastic. Mark Robinson spoke exactly what you'd expect if you you'd kind of followed him. Um, he, and he was, you know, got multiple standing ovations. So... Yeah, I thought that it was it was worth going to. I'm glad I went to the Lots convention. Lots of fun. Yeah, Sunshine Week. We can talk about that. Yeah, actually, Sunshine Week was um, this week, um, and you and um, Allie were part of. And was Andy too, or just you and Allie? Let's just say the whole WRL team. All right, part of put in part of effort. what we call an NC Watchdog Network. Right. Um, and so these folks uh, turned out a bunch of great journalism over the last week, looking at transparency. Um, and starting with, well, you didn't start with redistricting, though. You started with um, getting calendars. We, we pulled calendars, and you got to give Tyler Dukes at the in and o a big shout-out because he kind of marshaled a lot of this effort, as did Nick Auctioner over at WBTV in Charlotte. Um, calendars for the last year either, or, or a year period for various state officials, including the governor, the lieutenant governor, Mandy Cohen. Right. Um, and uh, they're all up online. There's a story on NC Capital when there's a little data table in there where you can click and you can go through 120, however many pages of people's calendar, look to see who they met with. We may try to do more with that, uh, some graphical representation of it, but it's a little difficult because, of course, when they give you this stuff, it's in a format that can't easily like be read yeah. by a computer. So we'll have to go through it and see what we can find there. But, but if you find something, if you look through it and you find something, let us know. Yeah. Give yeah. us a call. Now, I mean, it, it is significant because what you're talking about is what these people are using their taxpayer-funded salaries to do with their days, right? And so, you know, we, we get a lot of times, you know, as reporters, we get a heads up from the governor's office that the governor will be conducting meetings. Right. Half, I think th this story indicates that half of the public calendars they put out, the email they send to the press every day, roughly every day, mm -hmm. half of that just said, oh, yeah, he's... Conducting working hard today. Meetings. Yeah. yeah, just nothing, no, no further information. I think half or more than half of the time, that's all he released publicly. But this is the non-public. Right. Even though it's a public record, you get it later. If you ask for Shouldn't it. Shouldn't be that hard. And then you wait. And then there was the redistricting story, which was a little bit later in the week. And this had to do with looking at, uh, unlike a lot of uh, work products from the legislature, redistricting has a special place in open records. Um, anything, once district maps are done, right, the voting maps are done, those records are supposed to be available to anyone who wants them, all of them, like all communications about this, all maps. So you guys actually try to get some of those communications, only to find out there actually, for many people, weren't very many. Yeah, and different people read the open records request differently. We thought it was fairly straightforward. Uh, I think Senator Berger said there weren't any documents. Senator Blue, the minority leader in the Senate, sent us close to 4,000 documents, including a ton that were not related to redistricting. Oh, well. I mean, better to send more than not unless you're the guy who was reading them. <laughs> so, uh, but, yeah, and you know what we didn't get? The concept maps, the secret maps. Well, we were told they, didn't, they, they no longer had them. Which I, I, I just continue to... The, the open records law in redistricting in particular says you have to, these are all public documents, and you have to keep them. You can't just... And these are mostly lawyers who are doing this, Exactly. Right? So I don't understand how Representative Destin Hall, an attorney, and Dylan Reel, his former staffer who was also involved in this, also an attorney, it, you can just violate state open records law and, like, that's it, no consequences? What are the consequences? None that I'm aware of. It's, it's a misdemeanor if you're oh. if you're convicted of it, but... I mean, it just seems like we've moved on from that. Who's going to prosecute? Uh, in the meantime, um, we should mention that um, the 
Medical House, marijuana? Well, I was going to mention the Supreme Court. Oh, yeah. So House Speaker Tim Moore and Senate Leader Phil Berger have appealed, asked the uh, U.S. Supreme Court to consider uh, our, our case, our redistricting case. Um, now, I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. They've already filed. They filed for a stay and didn't get it. Right. Um, I'll be interested to see what the Supreme Court does with this because it sounds like there were a couple of them saying we need to do something about this, but then there were a couple of them saying we've already said states can do this, and we're not going to do this. It's not justiciable at our level. So I don't. It's anybody's guess what what's going to do. And the the question that they want them to look at, that that Tim Moore, Phil Berger, other legislative leaders want them to look at, is can the state court step in and undo what the legislature has done? Because the elections clause in the U.S. Constitution says that state legislatures will set the time and manner of at least congressional elections. Okay. And so there's this theory called the independent legislature doctrine or theory. I can't remember which. And that was used, wasn't it, back when they were trying to get certain legislatures to throw out their electoral votes for Biden and give them to Trump? I honestly don't know. But the argument is that the the legislature has primacy on these issues. Mm -hmm. That way the courts can't do it. What I wonder is if, I think the Supreme Court is going to take it, bottom line. It only takes four justices to take a case. And between the dissent on the stay that was previously requested and the concurring slash dissenting opinion that they have four they've got four but what the question is do they have five for the republican lawmakers here to win the question is also like how broad would that sort of decision be like if that would be a huge huge upset of sort of the well the balance of power i mean you know because we operate on on the idea that there are three you know separate branches of government that are separate but equal but the legislature said no some are more equal than others and that would be us yeah, yeah, and based on the United States Constitution, too, which would be, you know, rule number one. And so, I mean, the question's in my mind, like, if this theory is accepted, what does that mean for gubernatorial appointments to the State Board of Elections? Can those still be a thing? What about the governor? elections, period. Can the, can the governor veto any elections bill? Or yeah. does the legislature have primacy? I don't know the answers to these things. I don't know that the court will rule in a way that any of that comes into play. But I just, kind of a big deal. So. We're going to be talking about it a lot. So, yeah, get ready for that. Yeah. Now, you want to talk about uh, medical marijuana. Of course. I always want to talk about medical marijuana. It's fascinating. It moves the needle. Tim Moore uh, told uh, Colin Campbell, now with the NC Tribune, uh, that he doesn't see that moving this session mm. in 2022. Uh, it's sitting in the Senate waiting for a final vote there. We kind of thought it would get that final vote because Bill Raven, the Senate rules chairman, it's his bill. Yeah. And then Tim Moore saying, well, I don't see the votes for it in the House. I doubt that moves in the short session. I don't know. I mean, here's what I kind of imagine. I bet you there were some people who did not want to take that vote on the, on that bill in the Senate before a primary. Maybe so. Yeah. Um, once they get back from the primary, I could see that happening. I could yeah. see it at least moving out of the Senate. But we also have heard over and over from both chambers' leadership that this short session is going to be short. Now, I know they've said that over and over again, right? Mm. In many, many years. In mm. many years, they've been wrong. But it seems to me as long as this past session has been, they've got to all be kind of tired of looking at each other at this point. Yeah, I can see it. Also, let's throw in in the mix there that it would not necessarily be be above or beneath the speaker to derail the rules chairman in the Senate's uh, bill should it come over. I can't imagine that. It may or may not be a chit in a larger conversation. So, you know, talk to me about daylight savings real quick, Laura, because you had a story this week. There's a bill in Congress to end daylight savings. First of all, which one is daylight savings? Okay, daylight savings. Daylight saving singular, Ugh. is what we're in now. So it's not, it doesn't save any daylight. It just moves daylight, okay. right? So it moves daylight a little later on the clock, okay. right? Okay. So U.S. spends eight months in that a year. 
So what this bill would have done is made it permanent, right? So we would all stay on the time we're on right now for good and stop changing our clocks, right? Well, that sounds great because you get time after workouts and light, it's light outside, you can exercise, you can go do stuff, you can do whatever. However, in the wintertime, the sun would rise in Raleigh at 8.30 in the morning. Mm. Really, that's kind of late. It's really late. So, and that's the whole reason that there is the time change, you know, so that you're not, you don't have kids and, and folks going to work in the dark every day for months on end. Um, and so we actually did try a switch to permanent daylight savings in 1974, and it did not work. Um, they did it for two years during the energy crisis, and they let it lapse after 16 months and said, we're not doing this anymore. And what is it people don't like about it? Like, like why do people not want to change? Are they, they just upset about having to change their clocks twice a year? I don't understand the controversy well, here. Well, I think it's mostly, especially um, for parents with kids, it's tough. Yeah. You know, you're putting your kid to bed when it's light outside, you know. Yeah, um, that's true. You know, and it, it, it's hard in the mornings, and it's, it's actually bad for your health. Mm. When you have really, really dark mornings, it's hard to get your, your body clock going. Okay. And so um, what happens in those cases is that people want to end up sleeping later and later to get, to get up with the sun and then stay up later and later, right? So that's not great for your sort of 8 to 5 working day life, right? But that's if we change what we're doing now, right? Right. That Seems is what, like what we're doing now is fine. I don't understand why people are complaining. Well, okay. Because it is kind of a pain in the butt, frankly. I mean, and you get in that spring. Talk to me about <clears throat> life. <clears throat> The spring one's terrible. You lose your hour. And all week long, you're like, yeah, it's kind of mm. off balance. And, yeah. Eh? Yeah. This all seems uh, fine to me. There are a few more. Everybody quit your complaining. <laughs> unless you want to be, you know. Anyway. So that passed the Senate um, unanimously, although it was kind of a technical procedural thing. But we just wanted to mention it because, don't forget, North Carolina House has passed 2019-2021. Similar bill. Interesting to, to that I learned um, yesterday about this is that if you, if all the states wanted to, they could just stop observing daylight saving time, mm. and the whole country could go to permanent standard time, which is what the sleep doctors say would be better, and it would not take an act of Congress. But for the whole country to go daylight, that takes Congress. That's, that sounds like government right there. Uh, very, very governmenty. <laughs> anyway, I think that is about it for Close us. Close enough. Um, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, I'm not sure what to point you toward next week yet. Yeah, I think we'll have to see what, what, what's going to get cracking next week. Absolutely. But anyway, I hope you're enjoying this absolutely beautiful weather this weekend. Get out of the house for heaven's sake, and we'll see you next week on The Wrap.